The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. The Dow closes at a record high as Congress passes the White House's $1.9 trillion stimulus plan, sending it to President Biden to sign into law. This bill represents a historic, historic victory for the American people. I look forward to signing later this week. Everything in the American Rescue Plan addresses a real need, including investments to fund our entire vaccination effort. U.S. Treasury yields ease after the latest 10-year auction shows moderate take-up, while ACB policymakers urge caution over the impact of rising sovereign bond rates ahead of today's meeting. We will bring you Decision Time at 13.30 CET. In corporate news, General Electric announces plans to sell its jet leasing business to Aircap in a $30 billion deal that will create the world's largest aviation lessor by market share. The Aircap CEO, Angus Kelly, joins us later this hour. And South Korean e-commerce giant Coupang uh, raises a reported $4.2 billion in the biggest U.S. IPO of the year. Facebook's Vice President of EMEA, Nicola Mendelssohn, tells CBC the tech industry needs more regulation as the social media giant looks to tackle online misinformation and bullying. We take out uh, direct threats, we take down bullying, we take down um, harassment, and you know, we just don't allow that on our platforms. What's happened? Well, you're at the wall. Something's yes. happened, clearly. Yes. The producers only put you at the wall when something big's happened. $1.9 trillion. Oh, that'll that's, be it, that's yeah. big enough, I think. That's big enough for both Smaller of us. Smaller than Trump's 2.2. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that's what the Don is saying. Let's talk a little bit about it. President Biden is set to sign his $1.9 trillion stimulus plan into law on Friday after the U.S. House gave final approval. The sweeping relief package includes a fresh round of direct payments along with an extension of federal jobless benefits and aid for state governments. Democrats say the bill will help support the recovery, while Republicans have argued against its size and scope. Well, Biden said the spending will boost America's efforts to stop the spread of the disease. Everything in the American Rescue Plan addresses a real need including investments to fund our entire vaccination effort. More vaccines, more vaccinators, and more vaccination sites. Millions more Americans will get tested, including home testing. Schools will soon have the funding and resources to reopen safely, a national imperative. The American Rescue Plan, the partnership between Johnson & Johnson and Merck, proves we can do big things important things in this country. I'm going to launch the next phase of the COVID response and explain what we will do as a government and what we will ask of the American people. There is light at the end of this dark tunnel in the past year, but we cannot let our guard down now or assume that victory is inevitable. Together, we're going to get through this pandemic and usher in a healthier and more hopeful future. We've been doing a bit of soul yeah. searching. 
Go on. Well, there's a lot going on in the markets at the moment. Yes. I don't understand. A lot going yes. on with companies' balance sheets. I don't understand. And I'm yes. just wondering if I'm taking it all a little bit too seriously. In my leisure time, oh. I try and you know, wind down a little bit, spend time right. with the family, walk the dog, watch a bit of rubbish TV. Mm. At work time, I take it quite seriously. And I'm just wondering whether I need to dial back a little bit and take this stuff less seriously. Uh, why would you want to take it less seriously? This stuff well, is very important, I think. Yeah. We're, we're getting lots of really confusing signals about what the next six to 12 months is going sure. to look like. So I think it's Can important I... for, for the sake of our audience that we continue to grapple okay. with this and take it seriously. Okay, but why, me, why the let me show levity? You. Of on. course, there's a, there's a line here. Of and, and, and I want to just explain to you why I'm a little bit worried I'm taking some of these moves a little bit too seriously. We'll go through the serious stuff and then I'll show you what I mean. So look, the Nasdaq was pretty flat yesterday after this quite stunning rally we saw in the previous session. It was up uh, more than we've seen since November last year. But the Dow really had a great gain. Of course, you know, this rotation, vicious, aggressive on a daily basis. It kind of makes sense to me. So I'm, I'm all right with that. You know, I get this stuff. So the Dow was up 1.5%, clearly on the hopes of the stimulus and what it will do for paychecks and what it will do for people and the safety net it will give the US economy and what it could mean. I'm seeing 5 to 7% GDP growth for this year from many people out there. So that's fine. So let's have a look at the Dow session again. Again, highly logical stuff. I can, I can give you analysis on this kind of stuff. I can tell you that the auction uh, of the 10-year paper went pretty well as well. $38 billion worth of 10-year paper at 1.52% because I was worried about the auctions now because the amount of debt being taken on by the state. I get that. That's all right. I can talk about this. Yeah. And then I can tell you about the US technology stocks as well. And again, you know, the reason why we're showing this is, is because they were juxtaposed with yesterday's moves. And it was a good idea from the producers as well. So Twitter was down 4%. We saw Facebook down 0.3%. Tesla just gave back a bit of ground. Again, you know, big move, David Poor. I get that. Russell 2K, I can show you the three month on this one as well. Again, I kind of understand some of this stuff. So I can give you some serious analysis on uh, some of these markets. There you go, Russell 2K trading right up against its highs in line with what the Dow's doing. But then it comes to this stuff, and this is where I start saying, why am I bothering getting so exacerbated? What are you saying? It was only up 7%. Why am I worried about it? Okay, get a load of this. So you, anyone who's trying to give serious analysis of this stuff needs to just go and chill. And that's what I need to do on this stuff. I'm just going to take it as a like game of, what's a League of Legends? Or I don't know, what are the other big games out there? Mario Brothers or something. I'm just going to talk to you guys now like this is a game. And it was a great game yesterday because at one point, what was this stock up? It was up to $347. Yeah? up from 198, so it almost doubled pretty much. Then in 30 minutes, it dumped to 198 bucks and then it rallied to 206. Why am I bothering trying to give you serious analysis on some of this stuff when the moves do not merit serious analysis? There are ladies and gentlemen out there, and I kind of in my head, I've got the idea of a 30 year old man. I'm sorry if that's sexist, but I just see the guys just buy, sell, buy, sell, buy, sell. And it's just a game. So anyone who tries to give serious analysis on this stuff, Good luck to them as well. Uh, and if you want to know why I'm saying this, COS, the, you know, the earbuds maker, not the furry ones you put in your ear, but the, yeah. all the ones they stick up your nose nowadays for your COVID yes. test. I'm talking about like the, the, the mechanical ones as well for listening to music. That closed up, well, it was up 100% at one point. Mm. Closed up 69%. AMC, up 19% at one point, then down 6.2%. There's nothing rational about these moves. It's just a game. So I'm going to start chilling out when I talk about this stuff. Yeah, big picture. It does tell you something, though, about the state of market conditions, doesn't it? Because this is, this is froth. Ah, this is well. froth. This is the bubbles you get around the bubble. 
effectively, isn't it? Or am I misunderstanding no. what's actually taking place I, I don't place think here? you are. And this is where I think this gets really interesting. And I, and I think... Oh, well, Karen's going to come in a bit. I think you've got another reading in a second. I didn't realise that, but I thought we were going straight into our chat. But, but the point here is, this is happening in a niche area of the market at the moment, but it's coming through a little bit into the tech trading as well. It's certainly there in Bitcoin as well, which may or may not be an asset class. We'll leave that conversation part there. But the fact of the matter is, if it becomes more mainstream and it starts happening to the Dow and the broader S&P and the NASDAQ as well, and perhaps it could even people start playing games on treasuries and that, mm. does it have real ramifications rather than just being a bit of fun game at the end of the day? You're suggesting it might look like 1999 or 2007 or 1997 Would I ever, would I ever look back Asia? at the, our wonderful life together <laughs> on this channel and say, oh, there might be some parallels? Let's uh, let's talk a little bit about the inflation story as well. And I because, can, what's going uh, on as well. So. Uh, apart from what's going on with GameStop, the big issue has been around interest rates and the direction of inflation. And uh, there was really nothing that was too troubling in the inflation data. We're going to pop up the board. The U.S. Consumer Price Index increased by 1.7% in February, the largest uptick in the year, and in line with estimates on an underlying basis. The key inflation measure slowed to 1.3%. I learnt a new word, though, one that I haven't used very often, and the word is impute. I heard lessor, which I didn't know a lot about, in your headline (laughs) read, but impute is the word that the officials used to describe how they basically just made up some of the inflation numbers because they didn't get the data because (laughs) a lot of the service sector is shut down and, of course, we had the freeze in Texas. What was the other word? No, no, in the Greek debt crisis, we learned the word reprofiling of the debt rather than actually debt default. Oh, reprofiling (laughs) has been around uh, since the ancient Greeks, I think. (laughs) You'll find. How did they fund all those city-states back in the day? I don't know. How did let's, um, let's talk a little bit about the treasuries then. Steve mentioned the auction, which by and large, um, even though people got concerned about it being soft, passed off without any major significant moves on the yield. And that's the bit that clearly people are going to take comfort from today. And as you look at the session we've had in Asia, um, it's evident that there's been no scare from the direction of travel in 10-year yields through the last 24 hours. So let's just show you the currencies, because for me, the currencies are always um, important because it's a market that's not easily manipulated. And as far as the uh, currencies are concerned, the dollar's still in the driving seat against the yen, but a little bit more mixed against the euro dollar and against sterling dollar. Sorry. Where were you in 1992? What do you mean the currencies are not easily manipulated? Well... (laughs) Of course, the currency is at the end of the day, it's the biggest market in the world, right? So ultimately, central banks and governments can only achieve so much. Who's that Hungarian bloke? Uh, Yeah, but ultimately, (laughs) he took on the the government that was trying to manipulate the currency, right? right? So you could argue that he was a market force. Anyway, I'll try and finish this, and then maybe we can have a conversation. I love the heckling, it's a new style. So let's have a look at the current state of the markets then in terms of the Asian trade. Uh, Ultimately, we have markets higher. The uh, I would argue that it's the uh, markets that will largely see the greatest benefit from that 1.9 trillion dollar stimulus that are showing the most positive reaction here. So Shanghai up two percent, the Kospi up over two percent here as well. And when we look at the opening calls, so we had a pretty good run uh, yesterday for the U.S. session. The early calls here are that we will get follow through into Europe. Karen, come on in to the conversation here, because I think Steve and I have done enough at the wall for the time being. What did you make of the moves? 
I think we're getting some very uh, similar themes playing out, but there's a, a just a mix of themes that makes it very noisy to try and extrapolate what's happening. But I'll try and do that. I effectively, you've still got this huge rotation story taking place, and that's evident in the Dow. I mean, the 18th record high that we've had on the Dow this year tells you just how much momentum there is in this rotation trade. You're also seeing it in Europe. We saw it in, in the likes of the German market yesterday, the DAX and the Italian stock market. Both are up uh, about 4% so far for the week. So that is a strong rotation you're seeing back into some of these European markets. The noise fact, I think around the retail investing side, you have to park to one side unless you're a retail trader and you're on a Reddit forum, you're taking part in that. That's some noise and froth that's going to keep on going given the stimulus checks are only just about to, to hit the mail in, in coming weeks. So there could be more of that activity. But I think just separate out from that noise and, and, and the implications there, what you're seeing in the underlying market to run technology, you've got these um, high-flying stocks, the likes of Tesla, for instance, in the basket, trapped in some of that retail trading noise but also moving very aggressively around some of the bubbles and froth and the expectations around electric vehicles down the track. And you've got a huge volatile trade around that particular name. I think investors are very cautious now around these high-flying stocks. But where the opportunity may still exist is around some of the other big technology names that have been COVID winners. There was a, a Goldman Sachs report effectively putting two stocks back on the conviction buy list, and that's Microsoft and Salesforce. And these are two companies at the forefront of the digital acceleration journey, and they think that you know, the shift to remote working, more cloud services, the digital acceleration very much puts these stocks back in favour yet again. And they've both come off their, their recent highs and the recent levels you've seen in the past year or so. When it comes to uh, what the upside could be, I think this is incredible. They're calling out performance of 49% on and 36% on the two stocks, Salesforce at 49%, Microsoft at uh, 36%. So, I mean, that's an incredible upside that you may see in these stock prices. One of the arguments around Microsoft is just that journey towards the cloud. On Salesforce, it is on valuation, actually. So I think it's worth noting that you can't just look at technology now as one big overall sector. It's been bought, it's been sold off. You've really got to start to differentiate in the sector. Wise words, Karen. Thank you very much indeed. And we'll get more wise words, of course, throughout the show from Karen and Jeff. And I'll just chip in with my uh, concerns about my existential existence. Right, let's go from Karen Cho to another powerful lady uh, in business. Uh, that is, of course, Madame Lagarde. Uh, ECB decision, what to watch. <laughs> We've really painted it, haven't we, in the large letters. OK, so the ECB's Governing Council will publish its latest policy decision later today as, well, as bond yields surge. I, mean, I don't know if they've surged, have they? Have they surged? Well, if you look at it on a multi-year basis, they're pretty tiny still. Anyway, my producers say they surge, so they surge. As bond yields surge amid heightened inflation expectations, investors will be watching out for any policy adjustment from their president, Christine Lagarde, after a slowdown in the weekly rate of bond purchases. The ECB will also unveil its latest growth forecast for the block. Well, I suppose we should be thankful, Anita, that there are growth forecasts rather than decline. Oh, my goodness me, you poor thing, you're outside. <laughs> it looks a bit windy. We've got a gale down in Sussex. Is it the same in Frankfurt? Yeah, we are expecting that to actually get a lot stronger during the course of the morning. So you have some entertainment from us here in Frankfurt, I guess. But I bring you back to monetary policy because this meeting is actually a very interesting one because we have a clear division inside the governing council. We had the Italian governing council member Panetta recently coming out with a ultra dovish speak, a speech and urging to do actually more and to rather err on the side of caution. And that 
at the same time, we have other policy members uh, who are actually not at all interested in doing more, like the Dutch one, for example, saying that growth is going to pick up, we're going to go get through the pandemic. Uh, so essentially, that would be a highly controversial meeting today. And it's interesting to see whether we are going to see a clarification of whether the ECB is concerned about the rise in yields or whether they look through it and think they can't do a lot about it. Because clearly, if the U.S. is moving ahead then uh, and the yields are rising there, yields will rise here on the continent as well. Uh, it mostly happens in tandem. And that's not an awful lot the ECB can do against it. The key question is whether they think that their financing conditions across the Eurozone are turning south, uh, are turning unfavorable, which is not only the case if yields are rising, but also bank lending should be compromised in that respect as well. So we are very curious to hear about Madame Lagarde's take on that, because clearly that gives us also an idea whether the ECB is intended to um, increase their monthly bond purchases, which they have not done in the weeks when yields were on the rise. They actually kind of kept it at a low pace, not even the average pace. So that will be interesting. And of course, inflation, because inflation has picked up a lot more than analysts had expected. And uh, some commentators are even suggesting that we could get up to 3% by the year end here for Germany and 2% on average for the Eurozone. So that would be bang in line the target and there wouldn't be any reason to have more bond buying here on behalf of the ECB. So you see, interesting t day today here for the ECB and I will bring you more of it from here in Frankfurt. Back to you. Excellent. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, yeah, and hopefully you won't, uh, well, won't get blown away in the gale. It, it was it bad with your way? Uh, very, very windy. Yeah, she didn't take the bike in then. No, no, but I, I do feel a little sorry for Annette. I mean, basically, OBs yeah. at the moment are very hard going anyway because know? of the pandemic. <laughs> uh, oh, I did a few. I did a few. I know you seem to think that you're the only road warrior around here, but we have done a few. We have done a few. <coughs> 64. Okay. Uh, your Yari. age or your shoe size? <laughs> <laughs> My your age. IQ. <laughs> Yari Sten joins us, Chief European <laughs> Economist at Goldman Sachs. I hope, uh, Yari, you're inside. Let me just check. You are. Thank goodness for that. Okay, right. Good, um, good morning to you, sir. Uh, all show, no substance. Uh, you're quoting Schnitker, a euro area inflation strength. I think that was kind of what my colleague, Jeff, there uh, was saying yesterday about the concerns for immediate um, inflation shooting above targets in the States. Do you believe it's the same case in Europe? Europe, sir. Yes, we think the underlying inflation pressure in Europe is still subdued. Um, you are seeing a lot of noise in the inflation data. As was said earlier, you know, inflation jumped up in January. But we think mainly on technical factors related to an unwind uh, of tax uh, cuts, to changes in the weights, and so on. So it is going to be a bumpy path ahead uh, for inflation. But we think the underlying inflation trend is still subdued because there's a lot of slack in the euro area. And so looking ahead, we only think that core inflation will firm gradually here on a, on a sustainable basis and remain below the ECB's aim for, for quite some time. Your peer at Morgan Stanley, uh, Chetanaya, is writing yesterday in the Financial Times, just talking about what could lead potentially to an overshoot as well. Uh, and I guess his point really there is it's really hard to argue that there's a couple of trillion dollars just either in people's bank accounts or waiting to get into their bank accounts in the United States. Uh, and that's going to provide a hell of a stimulus, uh, which is hard to quantify its effects on inflation. 
Well, it's true um, that we do expect growth to pick up very strongly from here, but it's also true that the level of activity in the euro area is quite depressed. So you know, our estimate is that the output gap or the amount of slack you have in the euro area is about 7%. Um, and so you can grow quite a lot in our view in closing that output gap uh, before you generate sustained inflation pressures. And so we do think that as the reopening happens when we go into the summer, that growth will rebound strongly across the euro area. But we also think it's going to take time for that pent-up demand to unwind and for the euro area to go back to potential. And that's ultimately what drives inflation in our view. There's been a lot of debate about the reliability of some of the, the core inflation gauges. And over the years, as we are, are watching inflation uh, very stubborn getting back to target uh, for the last 10 years or so, there was a big debate raging as to whether house prices should be included when you're targeting inflation. What happens next? Because there is a view that some of these real assets could start to, to rise much more swiftly as we get a recovery taking place. How do we put that into our thinking as we think about inflation now for the next 10 years? Yeah, it's, a, it's an important uh, issue. And of course, an area where uh, the euro area looks quite different from other countries in putting much less weight uh, on housing costs uh, than, for example, the United States. So we do think there is going to be a push in the direction of including and measuring uh, housing more appropriately in the euro area. Um, but we also think this is going to take uh, quite some time. And this is, of course, featuring uh, quite prominently in the ECB review. Um, there are discussions how to measure housing, to what extent to include it. And we do think we will move in that direction, um, but also think it's going to be uh, a pretty slow process. In terms of the implications for inflation, what it will probably do is push it up slightly. As you said, you know, house, house prices tend to rise more quickly or have done uh, than uh, inflation more broadly. Um, but we also think it's not going to be a huge effect. So on average, probably a couple of tenths. And so even with that inclusion, uh, inflation you know, is still running at pretty subdued levels, we think, in Europe. Uh, I'm still struggling with the financing condition argument, um, Yari, at this point. I know that the ECB is in a funk about this, but it, it still seems that in spite of all the additional stimulus and the bond buying that's been done here, the banks are increasingly reticent to ease lending conditions. If anything, I think the evidence of leverage in the economy still left over from the financial crisis has them nervous. And then, of course, we, we, we get this... Uh, uh, story about green sell, and then you start to look around and see who's holding any bad paper at the moment. Um, is there any prospect of financing conditions getting easier as we come into this reflation, um, regardless of what the ECB does? So, you know, it depends, of course, what you mean by financing conditions, how you measure that, and that's going to be uh, an important aspect of the, the Governing Council discussion uh, today. So our understanding is that they take a broad view of financing conditions. They look at lending rates, uh, they look at lending quantities, they look at surveys of credit availability, um, and really take a, a broad holistic view. Um, I would say you know, an important question is, do you look at nominal or do you look at uh, your real borrowing costs? And I think that's maybe what you had in mind, that as your inflation uh, starts to firm gradually and you keep 
nominal financing conditions constant, you might get a bit of a boost uh, to real conditions. But then really, I think the key question for today is that yields have gone up since the December meeting, since the governing council has pledged to keep financing conditions favorable. And we think that's going to be the key focus for today. And we do think they will signal some discomfort um, with that upward pressure on yields today. Yari, thanks so much for joining us. Good to have you on the programme. Yari Sten, the Chief European Economist at Goldman Sachs. For more on the divisions among ECB members and the next steps, check out cnbc.com. Jumana and Juliana will bring you that decision later today from 13.30 CET. Also, South Korean e-commerce giant Coupang goes public in the US later today with a reported market cap of around $60 billion. We'll tell you more about that business and why they are listing in the US when we come back. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. Let's talk about Roblox, uh, originally one for the kids, now one for investors, as the shares soared on its market debut on Wednesday, giving the company a market cap of more than $38 billion. The popular kids gaming app has priced its shares at $45 a piece. Roblox, which is one of the hottest, highest grossing apps of the year and also the hottest among many programmers at home, it reported an 82% rise in revenue in 2020, benefiting from the widespread lockdowns. And Kathy Wood's ARK Investment Management bought shares of the video game company on its first trading day. You can find out why on CNBC Pro. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.